Hey, Warrior Fam, you're going to want to buckle up for this one. And by buckle up, I mean, get ready for one of the juiciest, most intimate deep dives yet. On today's episode, I am so excited to welcome my dear friend and author of one of the most new and noteworthy books on the market today titled Everything You Never Learned About Sex. Let me just start by saying this is not your average sex or relationship book or even anywhere near your typical personal development. Mm -mm. It's way deeper and much closer to home than you would ever anticipate. For me, reading this book took me on one of the most profound healing adventures I have ever been on in my entire life. And I have no doubt it'll do the same for you. Before you go any further, I would invite you to please press pause and jump over to either Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or Indie Books to grab your copy now. And then come back and join us. Don't worry, we'll wait. Okay, now that you got your copy on its way, ready, set, let's dive in. Welcome to the Words of a Warrior podcast. I'm Candy Wheeler, your host and founder of Warrior Women Retreats, internationally recognized conscious business coach, motivational speaker and author, but most importantly, human on a journey just like you are. And together, we'll explore insights, tools, and practices to help you recognize your worth, see your potential, and bet on yourself so you can uplevel your life, leadership, and business. Each week, I will bring you profound wisdom, words of encouragement, and real stories of fierce resilience from inspiring creatives, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs. Trade in fear, worry, and self-doubt for deep healing, sacred remembrance, and divine inspiration to follow your excitement and connect with your true purpose. Grab your journal and get ready to take your power back. Welcome to the conversation. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing better now that I'm with you. Yeah, I've had an interesting morning, but yeah, starting to feel a lot better. Same. And you know, this is actually the only thing on my calendar today. So I'm really stoked and welcome everyone who's joining us. You're joining myself, Michael and my dog in the background for whatever reason, he wants a little bit more attention today. So he'll just be here with us. (laughs) But I'm super stoked for this conversation. Um, Michael and I have done a podcast episode before. But that was before I read his book called Everything You Never Learned About Sex, which came out, I think, almost a month ago now, or when did it officially come out? October 30th was the official publication date, but some books were getting shipped out before then. I don't know how, but they made their way out before then. Uh, So I don't know. I got mine about two weeks ago. And let me just tell you, I started this challenge. Oh, well, I should say this. I took a little bit of a sabbatical from reading physical books. Let me know if y'all can relate to this. I thanks Audible for, for giving me this habit of not reading physical books for a little while. For about six months, I hadn't picked up one book. I was just, you know, listening to different audiobooks, podcasts, etc. But I started this challenge, a girl friend of mine. Um, invited me, or I should say enrolled me into called the 75 hard challenge. And it's two workouts per day. 
if you look, if you've listened to the podcast recently, you've probably heard me talk about this a ton because it's just like the center of my life right now, but it's committing to two workouts per day. One of them has to be outside. And then it's also drinking a gallon of water per day. Um, what else? Following a specific diet, which I'm like calling it the candy diet, you know, which is like intuitively plant-based eating, no restrictions, nothing like that, nothing crazy. Um, but it's really just to build discipline. That's the whole goal of the, the challenge. But one of the parts of the challenge is reading 10 pages of nonfiction per day. And it can't be an audiobook; it has to be a physical book. So me being my closet philosopher self, I just started diving into these really deep, like spiritual, you know, growth books. I started with uh, Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World by the Dalai Lama, and it was so good, so deep. Um, it was a tough read. I'll say that much. Like, I'm pretty sure it was translated, but it was honestly so good. And then I jump over to Quantum Healing by Deepak Chopra. And I'm just like feeling so top heavy at this point. I'm like, whoa, this is a lot of deep, really deep info. And he's using like all kinds of medical terminology that I'm just like absorbing. And, and then suddenly I get this gem in the mail right here. Everything you never learned about sex. And I'm like, sorry, Deepak, <laughs> you're going to go ahead and sit on the, sit back on the shelf for a second. And I'm going to start reading this book. And I was like, finally, a fucking page turner, like real talk, Michael. Mm. I first, first chapter, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is epic. And I finished it in like a week and a half. So thank you for so much for making this book, like just such an easy read, but also like, it's really deep and it's really like, <laughs> super valuable but it just is so much fun to read so thank you for that well thanks for saying that i'm glad you feel that way and that's definitely been uh, a response that i've got from a number of people now so it's it's brought some relief to me to know that it's landing how i desired it to land for the people that are reading it so that's great yeah just your tone of voice and and like you just have such a way of bringing lightness to such a deep conversation. And it's almost like you kind of have to right, with what you're teaching. So let me just ask you this to start out because everybody tuning into this, I'm sure is going to wonder, like, what had you know that you were the guy to talk about sex? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great starting place too. <laughs> I always say like, I don't think any young boy tells his parents when they ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be the sex guy. You know, that's, that's my thing, you know, no astronaut. No, I don't want to be a fireman. I want to be the sex guy. So I definitely didn't say that when I was young, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I was not, I was pretty certain it wasn't that, but my life experiences really showed me that this was an area of my life where one, I had a lot of pain and two, I had a lot of growing to do. So that was preceding coming into my union with my beloved Mackenzie. So life up until then was like just a basic dude, you know, living a personal and professional development life, working a lot, uh, trying to find my way in the world, my career, make money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I met my beloved and pretty much everything changed in that moment. And it was, that was my starting place. That was my line in the sand where I knew that none of my, patterns, behaviors, disempowering, things that I had around sex were going to go any further. 
It was like, it all stops here because I know this relationship is so important to me and will continue to be that I don't want to bring any of that baggage here. So that's when I really started to look at this area. And that's when I stopped watching porn. And that's when I reeled back from media, especially media that has, you know, explicit material in it. And then we launched my podcast, our podcast, the Humanity Podcast in 2018. And episode three of that podcast was Sex, Michael Tells All. And so it was the first time that I had really just told my story, kind of like the first chapter of my book, exactly as it went. I just put it all out there. It was incredibly vulnerable at the time, but I just told it how it was. And years later, I was still getting uh, emails back from that particular episode from people that had had healings around it, uh, that had received so much from it, that had gotten so much permission to tell their story uh, from that honest perspective that I just decided like, look, nobody else is talking about this. So I guess it's on me. I'm the one to do it because my persistent complaint was looking out into my life and seeing that there weren't any men leading this conversation specifically around sex because I was looking for someone to teach me to learn from. And uh, at that point, it just dawned on me like there's no one there because it's me. Wow. Oh my gosh. And then did you feel like a shit ton of pressure at first or what, like, what did that feel like to know that this is your, or did it feel like really good? Like, wow, this is my purpose or both. It didn't feel like pressure until I started sharing with people that that's what I was doing. So once I started telling people that I was writing a book and I started to share what the topic of the book was, that was when I started to feel pressure because people were checking in with me on it every conversation i had with how's your book going i'm like damn i'm really on the hook for this now so if this doesn't turn out one that's gonna be really embarrassing and um you know to now i i really want it to turn out because there's a sense of a a whole community of people being behind it Mm, yeah and i i love one of the things that you bring up too in the book that made this book particularly interesting or captivating to me and it was the embodiment Mm. piece and so I know that's one of the things you bring up a lot and it's honestly Michael if I can be fully transparent with you it's like the essence of you that I saw when I Mm. met you I was like this dude is the real deal Like I've met a ton of people who are in the world of evolution of in the world of spiritual growth, personal growth. And I just like, from, from the sense of just, even just being in the same room with you, let alone connecting with you, you know, having a conversation with you, all of that. I was just like, man, this guy really not only just like talks about this, but he's like embodied this, like he's lived it. And so can you talk a little bit about the difference between like the mental side of personal development and the embodiment side of personal development before we go into the book. Definitely. Yeah. There's a whole world there. Obviously I started with a company called Landmark, a personal professional development company called Landmark. And it was very insightful, very powerful for, for powerful for me at the time because I got insight into a lot of the stories that I had created in my life, especially upstairs in my mind. But even after I understood the stories, it didn't necessarily resolve the level of comfort I felt in my body. So even having a a mental, rational understanding of what happened, what I made it mean, and the impact of that, and even cleaning it up 
you know, saying the right things to people, apologizing, restoring my integrity, my body still felt like it was all over the place, you know, and, and that's when it hit me personally, that if, if I'm going to be somebody that's going to stand in the world and be assured in myself and deliver a message and have an impact, I need to sort what's going out inside of what's going on inside of me. And it really was the emotional aspect. So the part about going deeper for me was my emotions, uh, connecting with my emotional body, reconnecting with my heart, actually uh, rediscovering what emotions were and are, you know, this is sadness, this is joy, this is grief. I, I couldn't initially put a name to a feeling that I was having because I was so disconnected and really had been trained to disconnect and make my emotions meaningless. So uh, I was going through life, Speedy Gonzalez, doing, 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 full schedule, you know, morning, uh, sun comes up, sun goes down, I'm, I'm doing stuff all throughout the day, no time to process, no time to feel. And then I meet my beloved, I stop all of those things and my life comes to a screeching halt and all there is is stillness, mm. quiet and, and nothing to do and gratefully ceremonial cacao. And so I just started sitting and being very still and being very quiet, which was something that was totally novel for me at that point in my life. And that's when these deeper things in my emotional body started to surface. That's when I started to have, as many people do when they drink ceremonial cacao, uh, somatic releases where I'm crying and I don't really understand it, but then somewhere in the middle of my crying, flash of a memory from my young life where I remember what this emotion is connected to and where it came from. And so giving myself permission to go full circle like that and kind of reflect, go back to the life that I had lived up until this point, reflect upon it, revisit it and bring it into wholeness was really what contributed to my personal embodiment. Now I had a whole lot of help along the way. I don't want to make it seem like I'm holier than now. And I just like showed up in life and this shit started to happen. I had a lot of, a lot of help for my friends. I had my wife and I, Mackenzie, have been sitting with medicine for uh, three years now. I've been sitting with medicine for three years now. So a lot of teachers, a lot of facilitators uh, facilitating me being connected with myself, because that's really what embodiment is. It's, it's us being intimately connected with ourselves, being fully in our body rather than out, you know, because anytime our body experiences discomfort, the the tendency is to jet out because it's more comfortable out there in the ethers. You don't have to feel so much, especially now on our planet. You know, it's such a challenge to stay in the body, to stay in the feeling body, to acknowledge it, to process it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah, that's big work. That's what I call big warrior work right there. And it's really powerful. And I can see why that, you know, this book came to be then because, you know, from you, really doing all that work and, and connecting deep within your emotional body, you were able to figure out why, you know, things transpired the way they did for you, specifically in relationships and in your intimacy, in your intimate life with, with your partners. And so I'm really excited to dive into this, this story of Michael's life, starting with the best story never told, which is the first chapter of your book. And I would really just love for you to, you know, just to share with everyone else who maybe hasn't read this book yet. I'm sure 
every single one of you after this, after listening to this, is, or you're going to go order your copy ASAP if you don't have it already. But um, this was your first experience with your sex energy. And what you talk about in this story was that it was actually purely innocent in the very beginning. But then what happened from there just kind of, and and what I love about the story in particular, and I'll I'll let you dive into it because that's your, you know, that's your jam. But what I love about it, it's like kind of like the classic, like, way of putting how a ton of millennial men had experienced um, their sex energy for the first time in our generation, particularly being that our parents and the generation before us were just kind of following suit of the people before them. And, you know, we can just dive into, you know, to that from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter one is basically my story in full. And it was intended to be that just to give people a really honest and insider view into my life exactly as I experienced it. And it was actually quite healing for me just to be able to say it, even though I was writing it on paper, Uh, just to be able to put it out there really healed something for me because it was like I got to acknowledge for myself with nobody else's input involved what my actual experience of my discovering my sexuality and how it went from there was. And uh, yeah, it was completely innocent. You know, it's if you read the first chapter of my book, you're probably going to laugh. There's there's some few funny moments in there, but I just found myself uh, on the, in my parents' bathroom, and I was just uh, a young man still. And all of a sudden, I was inspired to touch myself, to massage myself, and uh, I hadn't had any sexually explicit material that I had been exposed to at that point, so didn't even have it that I was going to have a sexual experience with myself. I just had the feeling of the energy in my body. So I started to massage myself and I started to really feel this energy. And I was like, oh my God, this feels amazing. You know, all my pleasure receptors are going off. I'm like, I have never felt this good in my life. You know, this is incredible. And then the grand finale happens and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm like trying to point it away from me because I didn't know that was going to happen either. And this stuff's going everywhere. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I just, at that moment, like had to stop. And, and I was really, even as young as I was in a place of awe mm. that this energy, this feeling lived inside of me. And I didn't know it mm. until this very moment in time. Mm. And I really had it like, wow. In that very moment, like I just discovered something so fucking epic. I don't know like who I'm going to talk to about this. This is even possible. But all I could really think about at the time was like, I wanted to do that again. Literally, as I was masturbating for the first time, it wasn't sexual at all. It was just me totally present with my sex energy, with the energy moving inside of my body. And I didn't even have imagery sexual imagery that i was projecting onto it that didn't come to later for me in that first experience it was just completely i was completely in my innocent feeling body and it was magical Mm, yeah and then you i remember oh my god just following along with you in the story when you were like wow does anyone else know about this? Like, who, nobody, why isn't anybody talking about this? And I think this is such a big deal because it's so true. Like nobody's 
going to, you know, sit you down and have the conversation. And so from there, you were just kind of curious to explore on your own, right? Yeah. So the, you're right. The first question was, you know, oh man, you know, and it, it also sparked some insecurity. It was like, oh, am I the last one to find out about this? Does everyone else already know? Because if so, that's going to be embarrassing for me. And how am I going to bring it up then and make it seem like I have some sense of competence, right? Make it seem like I didn't just discover this yesterday. So I initially, because I had heard about it in the ethers, I had heard like some of the other boys talking about it. I initially resorted to porn to go and learn about sex so that I could have some sense of competence and confidence around it when it came time to share with the other boys in my life and when it came time to actually have a real sexual interaction with a, with a girl. And so, yeah, from there, it was a very steep downhill slide. I mean, as soon as I got exposed to pornography, my psyche was basically exposed to every genre of sex you could possibly imagine, things that I probably wouldn't have been able to imagine. And uh, yeah, and I got very addicted to the dopamine drops, the pleasure cycle. and, And what happened to me is what happens to most men is that uh, we actually receive certain programming. So when you, when you masturbate to porn, you, you go into what's called the porn trance. It's, it's very well studied. If you type it into Google, you'll see something come up and you can read about it, but it's called the porn trance because it really is like a, a trance state. And then while you're watching something at that point, that is actually being imprinted into your psyche. The only issue with that is it doesn't stop there. Obviously, when you close your computer screen and you turn and go out in the world, that imprinting now is something, a lens that you're seeing through, right? First, it was something that you received. Now it's a lens that you're seeing through when you go out in the world. And that's what happened to me. Uh, the bigger picture of what actually happens is our, our sex energy is meant to be expressed in all areas of our life. You know, it's meant to be given creative outlets. It's meant to be given energetic outlets. It's definitely meant to be expressed in our sexuality, but that's only one area in which it's meant to be expressed. But what happens to most men and women, because most women receive secondhand porn, in a sense, you know, they receive their first experience, sexual experiences often from a man who's been exposed to porn or been watching porn for some time. Um, what happens is we, we take this energy that's meant to flow in abundance in all areas of our lives and we trap it down into our sexuality. And now we say, okay, all of this energy, all of our creative life force energy now has to flow through this tiny little funnel called sexuality. Wow. And the bigger picture is that's why you have so many men that are sexually frustrated in the world and, and angry because they, they're trying to get this energy, move this energy through, through one area of life and the only way to do that, which pornography is a great example, is to have more and more distorted means to hit the same level of pleasure, to hit the same level of satisfaction, to hit the same level of fulfillment, to get the same reward chemicals in your brain. Um, so it gets the sexual expression gets more and more distorted. But if we, you know, take sex energy out of the sex box, we really resolve that issue. And if we learn to apply it once again to all the areas of a life, channel it is what I call it. Like you can channel 
spiritual beings, you can also channel your sex energy into other forms of creative expression. And that's really what I'm here to teach men to do because it, it takes the pressure off and they're like, whoa, okay. It's like magic again, you know? We get to work with this energy and it's, it's magic again. So that's not in my book. That was a, a little side wrap right there. A little side wrap, but also it's, you know, it's really embedded in the message because what I got from that is that, you know, sex and sex energy are two different things. Definitely. And that's, and that's what you shared. I know on the first podcast episode we did was that a lot of people think they're the same, mm -hmm. but rather sex energy, as you explained it, is is this creative life force that lives within inside of us but it's none it's only sex energy because it comes from our sex right. organs yeah right yeah nailed it and there are yeah oh thanks <laughs> yeah you killed it i should be interviewing you <laughs> well you know i feel like i was in school over the past two weeks like the real life sex school like not the kind of stuff that we went through in middle school which you talked about that as well. So let's dive into this part, which is the shame that you had um, experienced around one um, sex, like exploring sex itself, exploring pornography itself, when you grew up with a Catholic family. Yeah. And I just love the way you describe this. It was just like, honestly, I was just laughing the whole time because I can relate so much when you said like, yeah, no, just don't have sex. It was like on it. Um, it reminded me of Mean Girls. I don't know if y'all have seen this. Come on, you had to if you're millennials. But it's like, don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. <laughs> but like, that's kind of what you know the the instilling was. And I love the connection that you made with because I think we we should talk about this too. Is like, you know, the control aspect that kind of tainted religion in the first place. Yeah. And if you know, I really got from your description of this, that if you want to control a certain demographic, certain population, um, then you, you suppress their, um, ultimate power, which is for us, our sex energy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, I really want to dive into, you know, the shame around it. And I, I, I do want to bring this up because this was a huge, part in the book that just like made me laugh so much when you thought that God would punish you for, <laughs> for your experience, like you experiencing um, sex and masturbation and porn and all of that. And I really want to go to that time where you were on a boat with your dad. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Cause you, so you were in this, <laughs> you were like, God, if you get us out of this, but, but you were experiencing, there was a rainstorm and the engine wouldn't turn on. Yeah. So my dad and I were fishing out on black Lake. Uh, it's a lake up in Northern Michigan where we used to go. Our cabin used to be close by to that. And all of a sudden the engine cuts out. So we're trying to fix the engine. We're trying to get it back up and running and out of nowhere, this huge thunderstorm rolls over the lake and there's like lightning flashing down striking the water it literally you know if you come from a, a biblical perspective it's like the, the apocalypse you know the four horsemen and i was terrified and my dad was pretty scared too because we were trapped you know there was no way we were getting off this lake in time to avoid the storm so the waves started getting bigger the lightning started striking closer to the boat and then i i cuddled up under the cubby like right in front of the um driver's seat underneath the uh, steering wheel you know that little 
that little space that's there. So I'm like tucked in that space, shivering because the rain's hitting us and it's so cold. And I'm just thinking to myself like, oh God, you know, if you just save us, if you just spare my father and I, I promise I will never watch porn and I'll stop masturbating. I'll never watch porn again and I'll stop masturbating. And like that was that wasn't premeditated, right? That was like in the moment, the thing that I thought would have God save us. Like that was my bargaining chip. The one thing that was big enough for me to give up, but God would be like, okay, well, I'll spare you. You can live out the rest of your life. And that's when it, you know, only in reflecting on that experience did I get how programmed I had been by my religious upbringing. And, and I'm really not in a place where I want to shame religion uh, or anyone's personal beliefs. I believe there are beautiful aspects of every religion. And it's all about how we utilize it, how we embody it, how we imply, apply it to our lives, right? It's all about how we are towards other human beings. But for me, I was really trained to be afraid of God's punishment. And so in every sexual act inherently, I felt wrong because the Catholic church's beliefs and teachings around sex, especially for young people, were really strict, you know, abstinence before marriage, no oral sex, no funny business, all the things, right? So that was always in the back of my mind now, but again, I had my natural instincts that were blooming inside of me. You know, I was feeling my sex energy. I was feeling the energy of arousal. I was all of a sudden feeling attracted to women, which I didn't feel before. So it, 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 it tore me in two, you know, one side of me wanted to pursue these urges and explore them. And the other side of me was already shaming myself based on my religious upbringing that I had adopted and taken on for myself. And that really is kind of the key. If you can cause division, if you can cause a schism, if you can divide someone internally, then they're obviously not going to be at the source of themselves. They're not going to be at the source of their own internal power. And therefore, they're going to be easier to control. And that's, that's big picture stuff, right? And again, I don't want to make it seem like every religious leader out there is trying to control us. And I think we do have to take an honest look at where some of these things were born from. Not necessarily the teachings of Christ, let's say, but the indoctrination that's come with it since that time. We have to look like, okay, what has been the actual impact of that? And, and for a lot of men and women, it's been sexual repression. It's been, let's pretend like this isn't even a thing or uh, let's make it so holy that we just don't entertain it at all until we're in marriage. But then, you know, once we're in marriage, it's like you want it to be sexually satisfying as well, right? You want to experience fulfillment in this area of your life. So I, I work with a lot of men and women and actually many of them that I've worked with get save themselves for marriage and then they land in uh, their union and they're trying to figure out like, what even is this? How do we sexually pleasure each other? Like, where do we start? So it just creates uh, a bit of a mess mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have to be there if we can create a certain level of safety around this particular conversation. So you don't even have to sideline your beliefs, whether it's religious, spiritual, whatever. Mm. Uh, the important thing is to have safety so that we can 
have an energetic interaction with parents are always having with their children. It's all energy. You know, if you think you can hide anything energetically from your children, you're mm -hmm. bullshitting yourself because they can mm -hmm. feel everything. And two, uh, be able to facilitate a dialogue around this. And mm -hmm. the initial dialogue I got wasn't from my parents, you know, it was from this like six, four, 300 pound police officer called officer Eddie who scared the shit out of me. And that was <laughs> the point, right? The yeah. point was to scare us uh, into not doing something. And in scaring us, I got exposed to things that I didn't even know existed, mm. right? The slideshow horrors that I talk about in my book. We mm. should never have to see those things. That shouldn't be our introduction to sex, whether it's a religious context or not, right? Right. No, totally. When I just thought about that, I was like, how silly is that? But it's so true that that was our introduction, at least into into the school setting. It's like, no, don't do it. Here are all the different STDs you will get if you have sex. <laughs> and it's right. like, what the heck? God, like, you want to like shield your eyes and look yeah. away. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's like yeah. warning, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. I went to a and I, I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. So they were kind of one in the same for me. You know, I had mm. religious classes. So they weren't separate. I don't, I don't know how it was for people that went to public schools. I don't know if you got like a, a sex ed class or not, you know? Yeah, I did. I did. And it was what your sex ed was, or at least like that's what <laughs> I I remember from it. It's like it wasn't it wasn't this, you know, conversation that you're now delivering in this book, which I'm like, wow, this is it's just like, what if we could teach this to our kids? Like how epic would our world be? And I'm, I'm sure that's your intention with it is just to really lay a, lay a whole new template for um, connecting with your sex energy in a different way. Definitely a blueprint, a template, and more than anything, just um, help people feel a little bit more free to have this conversation. You don't have to have the answers. I don't even have the answers. Like I have the answers based on my life experience but only you will have the answers for your life experience. You know, it's, it's not like a, this isn't another form of uh, indoctrination. It's, it's whatever happened for you to look back, process and embody that and then integrate it and apply it to your life. Right. Yeah. What I, what I didn't say about uh, porn, which there's a lot of shame that came inherently from my exposure to porn as well. You know, it, it as soon as I opened up the laptop, I saw obviously all different kinds of things. But one of the things that I saw was the type of man that was capable of sexually pleasuring a woman. And again, like 6'2", chiseled, huge mm -hmm. penis, the whole thing, you know. Yeah. And I looked at my body and said, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. So that made me inherently insecure. Yeah. So to compensate for my insecurities, I did a stupid things I would have never done otherwise had I not been exposed. I bought penis pills. I bought a, a penis enhancement device. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and those things became another source of shame. Yeah. You know, the shame of looking at my body and, and thinking that it's not good enough or mm -hmm. thinking that it's, it's not going to be what satisfies a woman or I'm never going to be what I saw online. I'm never going to be able to to do that, to be that man that's capable of truly sexually satisfying a woman. And there was inherent shame around my masculinity for that. Just how I was born, my God-given body, right? right? And I know that's true for a lot of men. You 
Yeah. But a lot of people I feel, I was definitely like feeling like that since a kid too, just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, and I grew up like, you know, overweight, I actually lost 80 pounds. I don't know. Fun fact, if you guys know that already, but yeah. So I, you know, right away I was, I felt the same way with my body, so I can totally relate. But what I loved about you sharing this part of the story and how it affected you and your, um, your confidence and, and had you become insecure and then the way you showed up in relationships, which we'll dive into next. And, and, you know, in, in your first experiences with sex and how you developed this, like, uh, magic Mike type of, uh, presence in, in your high school, you know, world, which is hilarious. Cause I can already picture like Michael being magic Mike <laughs> and being that guy. But what I appreciated about that being a woman reading this book, I was, I was, I had so much more compassion for all of the men in my life, you know, cause I'm especially, I'm sure like have been exposed to pornography and also feel that same sense of insecurity. And I just had so much more deep compassion because I really could understand what that's like from an empathetic perspective. Like, wow, I get what it's like to not love my body. So yeah. I, it never occurred to me that guys feel that way at all. You know, it was just like, yeah. no, they don't have that, but, um, it's really true. You know, it, it really does, um, create this really, you know, poor relationship with ourselves and, and that's, you know, just so that had you can, you know, showing up um, in a particular way. So can we talk about that? Because that honestly was also quite entertaining. And honestly, Michael, I appreciate you for like letting this be uh, also like letting your deepest vulnerability be like fun and also exciting because I'm just like, wow, this guy is so brave, you know, with that's one of the things I really when I closed the book and I finished reading it, I was like, I need to text Michael right now and tell him how brave he is for writing this book. And, um, yeah. And, and also just how lighthearted you ended up making (laughs) the the bravest thing I feel, but like, let's talk about how things then showed up for you in your relationship throughout high school and then into, into college and where you went with that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And I really appreciate it. And it definitely felt vulnerable at first and now just feels so normal. And that's what I desire for other people too, is just to experience the normal, the normalcy of sharing truth, you know, whatever our truth is and having it be accepted. And it was definitely risky. You know, I had a funny little side story. I had a catch up call with someone that was uh, part of my, a part of my life uh, in these early chapters and had actually found out about, about my book, ordered it and was reading it. Someone I went to high school with. And so he started reading my book and got about halfway through and decided he wanted to have a catch up call with me because he was really being impacted by what I wrote. And I was just like, damn, reflecting back on it. I never thought this would reach back and touch those people. Cause I'm not even connected with my high school buddies anymore but they apparently have their own group message going and they're talking about the book and they're talking about me. And it's like, wow, I guess I never thought real people from that part of my life would pick up this book and read it and, and get something from it. But the fact that that's happening is, is really pro- profound to me because I wrote this book, not necessarily to reach the quote unquote, like spiritual man or the, the woke man or the guy that's already, you know, well along on his journey, I wrote it to 
to hit middle America, to hit the people that haven't even started to be an actual starting place for the average guy, the average Joe. So for my friends from high school who are very much the epitome of that to pick it up and read it and want to connect, I was just like blown away. Side story. Uh, wow. But yeah, how I showed up in relationships, uh, I again had a, a boatload of insecurities that I was now stepping into the world with. And so all of my actions were driven by this idea of compensating for that or overcoming those insecurities. So I started lifting weights. Uh, I started doing my hair. Uh, I started walking around kind of like a macho man. And uh, I quickly became one of the quote unquote cool kids. But it, it came about through my yeah, my sexual interactions with women. But around this same point in my life, I had been introduced to alcohol. Uh, I think I was 16 when I had my first drink and it was like a warm shot of rum. And I thought to myself, why does anyone drink this? This is literally disgusting, you know? And then of course I started to feel the way you feel. And I was like, okay, it kind of makes sense now. Yeah. But alcohol is what really helped bring down some of the barriers between me, what I was seeing online and actually having real sexual experiences with the women in my life. So the first time I ever even had sex, I was high, drunk and borderline blackout. And so that was, that was my starting place. That was where I lost my virginity. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people view that as a very sacred thing. And, and it should be viewed that way, right? It's the, it's the start mm -hmm. of a journey. It's the initiation of uh, a man into manhood in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Side story is like in, in traditional cultures and even in some indigenous cultures, it was usually the women of the tribe that would initiate mm -hmm. men. They would take them off to the side when they'd reach a certain age and initiate mm -hmm. them sexually. You know, you have rites of passage for yeah. men as well to enter into manhood. But to mature sexually, it was the women who did that. And of course, my experience was anything but that. Uh, in fact, I barely even remembered it. And yeah. what came after that experience was, I mean, just probably disappointment. And like, wow, that's, that's what that is. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I had to forego my emotional experience of losing my virginity because all the men around me like my friends my immediate friends were celebrating you know it was like this I had I had achieved something so I was getting pats on the back mm -hmm. I was getting celebrated I was getting lifted up you know you can imagine someone like just uh, scoring the winning touchdown and kind of being lifted off the field it's kind of like that feeling and so I learned to just go along with that and uh, mm. my way of compensating for the lack of masculinity or feeling like a man that I felt was to conquer women in the bedroom was to add quote unquote notches to my belt. Mm. And the more notches that I added, the more celebrated I was mm -hmm. uh, from both sides, actually, you know, guys looked at me and kind of revered me and like, whoa, he's got some kind of power and then women looked at me and it was like ooh, he's he's got some kind of power you know and and so right. I just kind of I was like well this is I I didn't stop feeling insecure it's just now I had like a different archetype that I could 
jump into that felt Mm -hmm. better than just sitting with my own insecurities. Right. Right. So I played this role and, uh, yeah. And then, you know, by the time I got into romantic relationships, it it was hard to stop playing the role. Mm -hmm. So I I had cheated on my girlfriends. I had been dishonest. Uh, I had gone behind their back and been with other women and, um, I also felt a lot of pressure because so much of my uh, masculinity, my manhood was riding on my sexual performance. If I didn't perform, it would deflate me immediately. You know, I'd go from this high of feeling like a man to feeling like whatever the opposite of that is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. I would, I would feel so small if I ever like... Uh, was too drunk to perform, couldn't get it up, uh, just like pass out. And again, I'm talking about alcohol because most of my sexual interactions at this point in my life were on the basis or around alcohol. And so eventually I, I landed in the place where I really desired a romantic relationship. I really desired to connect with a woman from my heart. I really desired to feel close to somebody. Mm-hmm. But this archetype that I was playing, you know, this Casanova, this magic mic wouldn't allow me to put that down or set it aside enough to let somebody into my heart. So I started mm-hmm. to like basically ride the infatuation highs of a relationship. So I, I'd get yeah. in a relationship, you'd be having a lot of great sex and feel so amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, this is my person. Then the infatuation wears off and you're like, okay, something's wrong here. It's not feeling as good anymore. Is it you? Is it me? It's definitely you from my perspective. <laughs> it was definitely always the other person. Okay, I'm going to yeah. peace. And then days later, I'm on to the next girl, right? So it wasn't like one night stands anymore, but in a way it was like one night relationship. So I just swap one for the other. And mm-hmm. that was kind of how I progressed through my life until I got to the ripe old age of 27. And I was like, damn, I am really unfulfilled in this Mm -hmm. area i'm really i'm Mm -hmm. genuinely unhappy yeah because i know there's more available and i'm not experiencing it i know like i could feel my soul and my heart's calling for something more but i didn't feel like i had access to it Mm. yeah totally so I don't even like, I'm like, hold on, let's like pause for a second. But no, I, I love that you got to the space where you're like, all right, actually, this isn't going to work for the long term. Right. Um, but I know that with discovering like all of this, you know, conditioning, so to speak, and just the way you've been showing up because of it, um, you know, it got you to a place of really understanding that something had to change. And so I love that you even included this chapter of clearing your slate and what that really means. And I think it's important to address here because, you know, we bring it all up to the surface, right? Shout out to Michael for being super vulnerable. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you might even be reflecting on your own experience with sex and just your conditioning around the whole thing. And even experience with pornography, if that's your thing, you know, you might be like, oh shit, right? (laughs) Like, okay, something's got to give or something has to, has to change. And so when you brought up this whole idea of like clearing your slate and really honestly coming to a space of, um, number one, like, all right, shutting 
off the porn, turning it off, closing out the screen, going inward, but also um, coming to a space of, you know, forgiveness within yourself. And, you know, when I read this part of, of clearing your slate, I remembered you talking about how important this is. And I really want to dive into some of that and like how it actually makes an impact on a bigger scale than what we think it is. Because for anybody listening to this, I remember you saying like, oh, when you talk to men about their use of porn and sometimes their objections will be like, oh, it, well, it's harmless, right? But in reality, that's not true. And so can you share some of like your discoveries and how much it impacts on a, on a bigger scale? Definitely. Yeah, well, first and foremost, the impact is very personal. So for anyone says, oh, it's harmless, I understand why, why they're saying that and where they're coming from on that. You know, it's just me, my hand in the computer. What harm is it doing? Uh, it, it's, it's actually doing a tremendous amount of harm. And on a young developing mind, pornography is one of the most damaging substances that exists. Now there's a lot of substances out there. There's some really like, you know, heroin, cocaine, meth, pornography actually in a developing brain actually diminishes the prefrontal cortex, which is the area of your brain that's responsible for decision-making and uh, uh, thinking like free thought. So it's actually limiting your ability to think, to imagine, to explore, to open your mind. And on top of that, the conditioning that we receive, the program that, that we receive is something, like I said before, that we take out into the external world. So now when I'm looking through my pornographic lens at women in the real world who are not actresses who are not entertainers i'm objectifying them in the same way that i do the entertainers and the actresses which is real energy that people can feel i i, I guarantee every woman that's participating participating right now has experienced that and you know maybe it was desired probably a lot of times it wasn't but for the most part you can see that that's happening virtually 24 7 inside of our culture whether it's in person, at the grocery store, at the gym, whether it's online and social media, it's everywhere. And the fact that it's everywhere has kind of numbed us to it in a way. We've stopped paying attention to like, hey, maybe this is a thing that we ought to look at because it's just everywhere. It's used in marketing, it's used in advertising, it's literally everywhere. So it diminishes not only our own cognitive ability and creates an addiction internally, but it also inhibits our interaction with other people, especially the opposite sex. It can be the same sex for some men, some women, but for me, it was the opposite sex. I couldn't have a genuine heart-to-heart -heart interaction with somebody because the conditioning in my mind was already having me project sexuality out of this experience that wasn't inherently sexual. Now, on top of that, most women don't end up in porn by choice. A lot of the things that we see in pornography are actually, you're actually witnessing sex trafficking. 
Mm. You're witnessing someone being coerced or manipulated into performing sexual acts and being filmed because they've either got blackmail on them, they're at their last straw and they don't have any money in the bank and this is how they're going to provide for themselves. Mm. They've got a, a pimp that's manipulated them and made them believe like this is something good that they're doing for someone that cares about them. There's all different forms of coercion that goes into that, but we mm -hmm. forget that that's actually a human being over there. That yeah. even though they're actors and actresses, they're real people who have hearts just like us, mm. their own life experiences. Yeah. And so we dehumanize them, but they are actually humans as mm -hmm. we're all well aware. And so that dehumanizing practice, yes, goes with us out into the real world, but it also is right there in that direct interaction with porn. Mm -hmm. So just by witnessing it, just by participating, I should say, Mm -hmm. We're placing our vote for more of that. Yeah. We're saying, yes, I agree with sex trafficking. I think it's a good thing. Please continue to provide more for me. It's mm -hmm. supply and demand. That's why so many people are out there. So many organizations are trying to, quote unquote, stop the demand. Because it's really us on this side of the screen that's demanding more sex trafficking, whether you think it's harmless or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I remember hearing a story from a friend of mine in college who had a girlfriend in high school start dabbling into the porn industry for herself. And she was in a similar space, just wanting to make money. And her first experience with it, they had watched the video and she shared her her experience of watching this with me, they had like been super open on camera about how she wouldn't be getting paid for it and how, um, and how this is just a try out trial experience for her and they'll let her know. And she was like, I, I, my friend had said, I, I really thought like just knowing this person now, or I really had felt as though I saw my witness, my friend get raped. Like that's yeah. how she felt. And, and totally. so it's an interesting, you know, perspective to have on it when you really look at it like that, like actually a lot of these women aren't there by choice or a lot of these people aren't there by choice. And totally. um, yeah. And so that, like, I love how you brought that to everyone's awareness, to the reader's awareness to really, you know, to really check, check ourselves, you know, and lovingly call us forward. Like actually, you know, it is a big deal. Definitely. And it's something that the bigger deal is that it's something that you're devoting your creative life force energy into. So you're giving the most powerful energy you have towards something that's totally bankrupt. Mm. And you might have your own justifications for that. It feels good. It's a stress relief. It's whatever, you know, you're just getting off. It's not harming anyone, mm -hmm. but literally you're giving life to that. Mm. And that's something that's going to turn around and have a, an impact on future generations as well. You know, how many men are going to have their first sexual awakening via their exposure to porn? Mm -hmm. you know, how many men are going to look at that and think, and women and think that that's real. That's what sex actually is. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so now everything has to measure up to what we first witnessed online. Right. And it just never will, obviously, because it's not the point. The point is right. it's entertainment, you know? Mm -hmm. they are making a profit off of fake orgasms it's fake yeah it's not real so it creates this like synthetic understanding of not only sex but of the feminine as well 
how yeah. the, how females are meant to be in the bedroom, mm-hmm. how they're meant to perform, how they're meant to behave, that it creates this unrealistic expectation that women are just like men. They're, they're sex hungry animals, you know, with the, the sexual appetite of a man, which isn't true. Yeah. You know, the, the access to a woman's womb is through her heart. Mm. And we don't learn that, but we could learn that if mm-hmm. it didn't go this way. So clearing your slate is really about taking away the distractions and getting back to the source of something. So if you can eliminate the pornography, if you can eliminate the objectification, if you can start to observe your patterns and behaviors when you're around other women, then you can start to reclaim some of your power back. And it's no different than any other form of media other than the fact that it's tied to one of the most powerful creative energy in the universe. Mm. You know, it's created, it's connected to and manipulating our sex energy, which makes it that much more powerful, right? Yeah. And I love how you go on to talk about, you know, sex energy being this, like the most powerful creative life force. And, um, you, I love this terminology used. I think you called it heart orgasming when you're like talking about raising your vibration and you're speaking of like, actually your sex energy can experience, can be experienced outside of actually having sex. Can you dive into a little bit of that? Definitely. My first experience with this was in ceremony. So uh, I was working with ayahuasca and she lovingly had me experience my sex energy for the first time, which I didn't know was going to be such an intense experience. So next thing I know, I'm feeling it all throughout my body. And I'm like, whoa, this is really uncomfortable. Are you sure? And this setting, you know, a super sacred setting that I'm meant to be experiencing this amount of pleasure. Yes. So we kept going and as it's making it its way up my body, it hits my heart. And all of a sudden it's like the intensity of love that I felt in that moment. You know, I call it a heart orgasm because it's not sexual at all. It's literally your heart orgasming. I don't know if you can just imagine that. That's how it feels. It's like, oh my God, I love these people. I love life. Oh, love myself. Oh my God. It's like the greatest form of pleasure I've ever felt. Now that was amazing. Right. But that was somebody quote unquote, doing it for me. That was something doing it for me. That was the medicine facilitating experience to show me that this is possible. Taking that out into the real world is a different story because we have so much guardedness around our heart. We have so much pain inside of our heart. That's related to our past experiences that we need to revisit and feel like we talked about already in order to make ourselves even available to experience this kind of feeling. But it's true, when your sex energy hits your heart, your heart literally expands. Sex energy is a generative energy. It'll literally expand any, any energy center that it's brought into. It'll amplify the amount of energy in that energy center. So if you bring it into your heart, you're gonna amplify your ability to give and receive love. Tell me what could be a greater thing? What could be a greater tool to have in life than that ability, Yeah. right? Totally. And we can also access that in our lovemaking as well. And that's having a full, wholehearted experience of lovemaking. That's actual lovemaking. There's a difference between sex and lovemaking. Yeah. Lovemaking is when your, your whole self is involved, your physical mm-hmm. body, your heart, your spiritual body every aspect of you is involved. But when you, when you bring that in, it's, it's no longer just your, 
genitals or your lower chakras being stimulated, right? Anybody can do that. That's like our primal nature. Anybody can access that. Mm -hmm. But to bring that energy up into our heart, it's a whole nother level of satisfaction and fulfillment. And I tell you, like no amount of ejaculation will ever get you to the fulfillment that you'll feel from allowing your heart to be penetrated in that way. Yeah. When you talked about this, I was like, oh my God, I've had so many heart orgasms. <laughs> when you brought it up in that way, like, have you ever had this experience where you're just like in love with life and you just have this like full on full body bliss. And I'm like, oh my God, I have that all the time. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, especially more recently now that I've created this beautiful life, you know, but I've had yeah. this throughout my whole life where I've had just like moments of really understanding like how much of a miracle this life is. And I was mm. like, oh, I was so excited, you know, at that point in the book. So I was like, wow, I've had so many of these. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. But also the idea of how our sex energy isn't just um, limited to um, sex, our sexuality, our sexual experiences, but it can be you know, outside of that, it can be our, a full body experience, you know, it, and it can be channeled in various ways. And definitely. And I know you talk about this, like how, you know, how sex energy is actually meant to be channeled. And I know, I don't think we've really dove, dove into that yet. And so can you talk about like, what's the point of even, you know, harnessing your sex energy? Yeah, again, it's a, it's an amplified energy that allows you to do work. Energy is the ability to do work, right? So we have this innately ordained by God energy given to us by our creator. We have it from birth and we can use it. We use it throughout our entire young life. It's just we get a little, it gets a little twisted when we hit puberty because then sexuality comes in and that's when it gets confusing for a lot of people. And we have our first sexual experience, you're introduced to shame. Uh, trauma that people have in their young life. So it all kind of gets an area of gray in that part of our life. But before that time, we're harnessing our sex energy for all kinds of things. You know, kids have sex energy. It, again, it's not sexual at all. But if you witness children, they have an abundance of energy flowing through them. And I know every child is different, but for the most part, it's like they go and you're not going to stop them. Yeah. So how does that how do we transition into adulthood with that energy? Because most adults, if you look around in the world, aren't really like that. Right, yeah. They're not carrying that same level of energy, that same level of, of vibrancy, of aliveness. And that's really what our sex energy is for. It's the experience of being alive. It's the orgasmic life. Everything being as good as it possibly can be now. You don't orgasm forever, obviously. You have to come down. You have to go into a rejuvenation cycle before you come back up again, right? It's a natural flow. But our sex energy literally is like, it's the juice of life. And yes, it can be channeled into different areas of our life. Even our sacral chakra in general, most people are really familiar with this part of our body being connected to our creativity. Mm. If mm -hmm. you and sensuality as well. If mm -hmm. you start working with your sex energy in a conscious way, even if it's through your own breathing or focused intention, you can actually amplify your own access to creativity. Mm. Creativity is the juice of life, if you will. It's our, our creative inspiration to birth things into the world, to mm -hmm. express ourselves. 
But what happens is our sexual suppression, our shame, ends up blocking this energy to our lower chakras. So it doesn't actually rise up within us, hit our higher chakras and get expressed into the world. For instance, if you're a singer, if you've ever heard somebody that's a beautiful singer, that you're hearing their sex energy. Mm. That's why music can actually trigger a sexual response from you. It doesn't even have to be oh. not a sexual response. It can actually trigger your sex energy. It, it can give you the experience of being aroused, right? You listen yeah. to a, a song that's got a great beat and uh, beautiful lyrics. And you're like, yes, you know, you can feel it. You're in the experience of orgasm. You're like, oh, yes, this is so good. And that's the experience that we can give people in our lives through the conscious channeling of our sex energy. So whether you bring it into a, a creative endeavor, artwork, songs, music, uh, whether you're bringing it into a business endeavor, you know, uh, expressing your creativity through business, offering something in the world, or whether it's through something else. I don't know. It can be anything. The whole point is that if you harness your energy as you're working on whatever you're working on, you're going to have a greater access to something that you would otherwise. Mm. Uh, so juicy. I'm like, I can't believe that we're only like this far in because I have so much more I want to talk about. But hey, we're in it, right? We're here. We're committed <laughs> at this it. point. <laughs> All right, let's go for it. So um, the, I want to talk about the father wound because I, I hadn't really explored this for myself until this book. Um, I've heard of the mother one and, you know, being a woman and, and yeah. really talking about this aspect and how like, you know, this shows up for us um, in our feminine energy, but it was really helpful to understand how much it meant for you to have your father's, you know, approval. So to, and, and his love and his, and um, you know, and, and really being seen by him and, not having that as a kid had a huge impact on you. Definitely. Yeah. My father is a really beautiful man, a very generous man, a very giving man. He just, it, his upbringing had him suppress his own voice. So he didn't necessarily have, he did have the ability, but he didn't express it often. Uh, words of affirmation or expressing his love through language and as a young man, and now as an adult, what I realize is that fathers bestow masculinity to their sons. So there's a, an obviously really important connection between father and son, just like there is between mother and daughter, just like there is between mother and son, just like there is between father and daughter. They're all different. And in terms of masculinity, it really is the father or the father figure in the family household that bestows masculinity to the son. And so my young life, I spent most of my time with my dad and it was amazing. We did everything together. We went hunting, fishing, all the outdoor things that you can imagine. We were always together attached at the hip. But when I started to grow up and mature, I started to desire a different relationship with my father. I'd, I started to desire a different point of connection. 
that was based around verbally expressing things with one another. So that's when my father's shortcomings really had an impact on me. And so I didn't, I left my young life and progressed into adulthood with the question of whether or not I was still a man or whether or not I was a man, whether or not I had what it took to be a man in the world, because I had never heard my father explicitly say that to me. You know how powerful it is when a man stops you and looks in your eyes and expresses something. I had never had my father, and most men don't, really pause me and say, look, you're a man now. You've crossed the threshold. You have what it takes to be a man in the world. You can do this. Go out and prosper. And so without that assurance, without that security really of knowing that, I traveled into my adulthood with the question, am I really a man? And so I used my sexuality and really my interactions with women to prove that to myself, to validate the masculinity that I didn't feel inherently within myself. So the more I conquered women, the more I got with women, the more celebrated I was, the more I felt like a man. Again, like I said before, it was a double-edged sword because if I didn't live up to my expectations in the bedroom, then I really didn't feel like a man. And it was this, it was something, a cup that constantly needed filling. So it, it always needed a new conquest. It always needed more evidence. It wasn't just, I know I'm a man because I just know, <laughs> right? It was something that I kept having to go out and prove to myself. Um, and that led me to, yeah, mess up a lot of relationships with women, for sure. And eventually uh, just fall short, you know, to to come to the realization that this is just never going to work. I'm never actually going to be able to validate my masculinity enough um, through, through these practices, you know, through right. these sexual acts. Mm, yeah. So powerful to just like have that realization and know that it's gotta come from within you, you know, that sense of just like belonging and, you know, just, even just acceptance, like full-blown acceptance. Yeah. And I also see how valuable it is for so many parents to read this part of, you know, this part of the book and to really like, wow, actually, I never knew that's what my child really wanted, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's going to really lay a new foundation for the generations to come. I think it's really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. And it kind of brings me to what I want to talk about next, which is, you know, when you and Mackenzie were in Guatemala and you went for a vacation sort of, but work and play and quickly it turned to be more work on her side than it was play. Right. And for, for those of you, yeah, I think I'm pretty much everyone here probably knows Mackenzie by now, but this is my soul sister and Michael's beloved. And, um, and she is just a boss, like a boss babe to say the least. Um, and she runs a beautiful company 
called Delighted By and your nonprofit Cacao. And so she's got big stuff going on, right? And so when something comes down on her, it's like, it's, it's her responsibility. And so she ended up having more work than anticipated and that really triggered you. Can, can we dive into that? And, and also what it brought up, cause I love this part. And it's like, when you discuss like the inner child work. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we went on this grand adventure to Guatemala and the whole, the whole intention was just to go and have fun. And then shark tank happened. And next thing you know, my wife is just totally involved in her business because rightfully so she's got something really big coming up. Uh, but of course those weren't my expectations. And I was just managing myself as best as I could. You know, I was upset, but I was trying not to be because I understood it was like a huge opportunity. Right. But what I noticed was, you know, we'd have these cutoff times that we established between each other. So uh, at 12 p.m., we're going to stop working and we'll go out and do something. We'll go grab lunch or we'll go explore in the local area. We'll just go have fun. And then each day, 12 o'clock would come and go and I would finish up with what I was doing and I would look at her and she's still very much involved and she hadn't communicated with me like, hey, it's going to be another 30. Hey, it's going to be another hour. Hey, I, I can't do it today. Can I make a new agreement with you? So I'm just kind of like twiddling my thumbs, waiting, getting really upset and starting to feel pretty rejected and feeling like, okay, this definitely isn't as important to her as it is to me. And just I, I, the energy, like I was starting to get really frustrated and next thing I know, I'm like going off. Right. And this is not, and was not an uncommon thing for me very early on in my relationship with Mackenzie, her and I are twin flames. So we trigger pretty much everything in each other, anything that's unfinished. So it can be very combustive at times. Like we have eruptions and then we're like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's not really about you. This is what that actually is, you know, but initially yeah. it comes out as like a big eruption. So I erupted and I just got pissed and it went off on her mm. and she, she just so happened to mention something about my inner child. And that's when it really dawned on me that the experience that I was having with her in this moment, it, it wasn't the first time I had ever had that experience. It wasn't the first time I had ever felt rejected, ignored, kind of left mm. to play by myself or, hey, I, I'm busy. I got things going on right now. Can you just go and, and do your own thing without mm. the communication, of course? And so when I reflected back on my childhood, both my parents worked full time mm. because they were really committed to supporting our family. And I was the youngest of three siblings. I had two older sisters. But we were just not into the same things that I was, of course, being the only boy. So anytime I wanted to play in my family, uh, I would ask my mom, or even more so, more often I would ask my father, and he would often say no. And he wouldn't necessarily even give me an explanation for why. I could see it. You know, he would go and do yard work. He would go and mow the lawn. He would go work on the car. He would go and do one of the adult things that he was always constantly tending to, to take care of our family. But my, my little self, my young self didn't really understand that. My young self interpreted that as you care more about that than you care about me. And so I would just go off on my own and, and 
typically maybe take my BB gun and take my dog and go and play in nature. And nature really was the place that I went to, to feel consoled. That's the place that I could go. I didn't even know that, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand that cognitively at that time. It's just intuitively, that's where I went into nature to kind of console myself. And I recognized like, okay, this is what I'm actually feeling. I know this experience with you, my beloved, is mirroring to me something I felt in my young life. And therefore, a part of me, my inner child that's still alive inside of me, that's asking for me to give attention to him. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is that there is a part of us that lives inside of us that has never grown up. It's your four, five, six-year-old self that's still in there desiring what he he or she desired at that age, wanting to have the experiences that he or she wanted to have at that age, wanting to hear what he or she needed to hear at that age. So my job at that point, once I recognized it, it was stop blaming anything that's going on externally. Stop, certainly stop yelling at my beloved and making her the devil. Yeah. Pause, go inward, talk to this little guy and see what he's needing. And really, when I did that, what I realized, all that he was really needing was just to know that he's loved, cared for, special, looked after, accepted, wanted, right? Mm-hmm. All of these things that children inherently desire and want to feel and will feel, you know, around relaxed parents. Uh, but it was an opportunity for me to reparent myself. And mm-hmm. so the way I relate to inner child work now is almost as if it's like time travel. Yeah. You know, you can go back in time, literally, and you just close your eyes. You go back to the scene. Like I go back to the scene of being told no and feeling rejected by my parents. I introduce myself as a third party. I turn to my little guy, my little one, and, and interact with him and say, hey, how are you feeling? Okay. And then, you know, saying it's okay. I know you're really hurt right now, but it's, it's not personal. It's not that your dad doesn't love you. It's just that he's got other things that he's really responsible for right now. And he, it's not that he doesn't want to spend time with you. You're amazing. Everybody wants to spend time with you. You're awesome. You know, whatever they need to hear. It's probably not that specific thing, but Oh yeah, no, it is. Like I'm like, okay, I brought the tissue box on purpose. Like I'm like, all right, ready. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's so true, you know. And I I, when you were taking me on that journey when I was reading this, you know, I really I really felt not only that I was there with you and like there with you and little Michael, but I was also there with me and little Candy, you know. And I was like having this conversation with her, and now I'm like oh my God, I can't wait to tell her that she is so epic, you know, and how different our experiences are going to be from now on knowing that that's, that she's present for everything. Definitely. Yeah. And and that was, so that was my first introduction to my inner child (laughs) kind of came as a shockwave, you know, like, oh, okay, this is definitely something I should pay attention to. Definitely a part of me that I should pay attention to. Um, But since that time, I've really been able to interact with him proactively. So if I'm going into a very adult situation that's intimidating, scary, if I'm going to get on stage or if I'm going to have, 
a difficult conversation that with someone that I'm experiencing conflict with, I can talk to him and say, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to go and have a really adult conversation here. And you're probably going to hear, maybe hear some things that might make you uncomfortable. I just want to let you know that you're safe. There's no, you don't have to do anything here. You can stay if you want to and just witness and be a part of this. Or if you want to go and play, I'll come and get you when it's over. And, you know, we'll go from there. And that's a really empowering conversation to be able to have because, you know, if, if our inner child feels like he or she is the one that's responsible for having the conversation with somebody, we're probably going to be wigging out. We're probably going to be, our inner child is synonymous with our nervous system. We're probably going to feel really tense, anxious, worried, all those things that we can feel in our nervous system. So soothing our inner child is also a way of soothing ourselves and, and calming our own nervous system. You know, when they know they're safe, just like when children know they're safe, they're ready to play again. No big deal. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. How kids just have this like innocence to them. They're just like, you know, like they'll then, and how connected they are to their emotions. Like they'll cry and they'll scream. And then once they get it out, they're like, all right, we're good. Let's play. Like, all right, let's right. go do yeah, the they next re- thing. They recover like that and they're over it. They're like, let's play. What's up? What's next? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, all of us have that ability if we just allow for ourselves to feel all of our emotions when they happen or, and and I love what you talked about when you, when you spoke to creating a safe space, I didn't only take that in, into context of sex. I took it to everything. I'm like, oh, we like setting up your sacred space is important for everything. Definitely. And so, yeah, you know, moving forward, moving forward into, you know, that, and also we'll, backtrack here for a second um when you talked about restoring the heart in in sex I remember you brought up some of your heartbreaks and how they had an impact on your current relationship and I I thought this was really beautiful when you shared about your first ever heartbreak and then the, the, the second heartbreak that you had and how much it like had you put on some armor and had you Definitely. through that blocking your full experience with love and connection to your current partner. Definitely. Yeah. When I was in high school, I had this girl since I was a freshman in high school that I was obsessed with. Her name was Lauren. She was a year ahead of me and at that time in my life she was just everything you know I was always thinking about her wanting to do cute things little romantic things Um, I played sports so a lot of times she would come to my sporting events and I'd want her to wear my jersey and so it was like this three-year-long courting you know because it's hard in high school to get an older girl to date a younger guy it's like you got to do a lot of wooing a lot of convincing I don't know how it is today but that's how it felt back then like with all the uh, older se- uh, seniors at one point, but older guys that went her class, you know, it was like really intimidating to be attracted to someone that was part of that group, the older group, you know? Yeah. So lots of courting, lots of wooing. And then finally my junior year, her senior year, uh, we went to a dance together and I was like, man, this is it. This is the culmination of all of this courting. This is going to be the night. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it feels ecstatic to me. And I was like, I was just so genuinely 
excited. So we do the pictures, we get on the party bus, we're like kind of like cuddling and close. Uh, the the energy between us feels electric. I'm really feeling it. My perception is that she's really feeling it. We go to the dance. We're dancing, having so much fun. And then next thing I know, we separate for a little bit to go to the after party. And this after party is at one of the senior guys' house. So it's already kind of intimidating. All the senior guys are there and I'm not super close with them. It's not really my friend's group. In fact, they had spent pretty much the last three years picking on me because I was good at things and the girls in their class liked me and they didn't like that. So I was already kind of like, oh man, this is a little uncomfortable, but my girl's here. So I'm just going to focus on that. And then, uh, yeah, a little bit into the party, I lose her. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to start looking for her now and pretending to pay attention to conversations that I'm having, but really I'm like, where's she at? And I walk around uh, into the kitchen and there's a big group of people in there. And I see her like on the counter making out with this other senior dude right in front of everyone. And now right in front of me. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. I'm like, that is literally the worst thing yeah. I could have experienced right now. You know, I was riding such a high and then just dropped to rock bottom immediately mm -hmm. and I just remember falling back into a, a sofa chair that was there and just staring like blankly off into the distance thinking like wow like what is gonna happen now like how could I have been so stu stupid like how could I have really believed that she liked me which then progressed into like I am just literally never going to put myself in a position to feel like this again. I'm never going to put my cards on the table like this to feel this embarrassed in, in front of everyone at the party and later everyone at my school because word travels, right? I'm never going to put myself in a position to feel embarrassed like this, to feel heartbroken like this. And so put on another barrier, you know, put on another layer on my heart, took on the masculine bravado, was the ladies man. And then eventually, about a year later, I met a girl that I really liked again. We dated on and off all the way through college. And then my senior year of college, our fifth year of being together, uh, I go out one night and I'm partying and I'm hanging out with some of our closest friends and she had gone back to visit her family. So she, my girlfriend at the time, wasn't there. Have an amazing night. Go home. Actually, that night, I, I thought a, like a cement brick or a cement block on the sidewalk was a, a plastic bag. So I was like drunk, casually walking home with my friends. And I thought I'd like kick this plastic bag. Ended up being a cement block. So I like basically destroyed my big toe. I'm pretty sure I like broke it. So I'm, I'm already in a rough place. I wake up the next morning. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm really hungover, And I get a call from my girlfriend and she says, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. She says, I don't, I, I think we've something along the lines of like, you know, I've lost the romantic aspect of our relationship. And I think we should just be really good friends. Basically, I'm breaking up with you. And so I was, again, like shockwaves. 
again, I mean, this is a girl I, I had literally been making plans with to move across the country with to start our lives together. I thought I was going to get married to this girl. In fact, weeks earlier, my parents came to visit and I was like bragging in front of everyone about how I was going to marry this girl. And the next thing I know, she ends our relationship. And I was just devastated, devastated. And it's like the moment where everything in your life just kind of flips on its head. It's like you think it's going one way and all of a sudden it's now going in a very different direction. And again, it was like more evidence for why I shouldn't make my heart available to women in relationships. You know, why put myself through this kind of, if this is how relationships are going to go and I'm going to start to trust again and I'm going to start to open myself up only to be crushed later down the road i might as well not even open at all and so that's how i started participating in my relationships it was very much ego driven i wasn't in my heart at all i wasn't interested in letting women in to get close to my heart because i already had it figured out that this relationship was going to end anyway so i was saving myself from a lot of pain i was doing myself a favor in the long run but of course, as it relates to sex, if your heart is closed, that aspect of you is not going to be involved in the bedroom. It can't be. And it's a form of protection, but the impact is that it's a part of us that we withhold. We think we're protecting ourselves, but we're also withholding it from the people that we're closest to in our life. And therefore, we're not receiving what we could be receiving if we weren't withholding it. Mm. Uh, so yeah, heartbreak is a big one, especially for guys, because it happens so early on in our lives, usually. You know, my my first experience was I was a senior in high school, but when I first fell in love with this girl, I was a freshman. You know, it was puppy dog love, but it was still love. I was a freshman in high school. Right? That's how early this started for me. So if we want to be able to offer our full heart in the lovemaking space, we actually have to look back at our experiences that have had us put barriers, boundaries, or guards around our heart to prevent us from being hurt. And that applies to men and women alike. Yeah. Oh, so good. So how did you come to a place of really deciding, you know, you were going to open your heart again? I know you met Mackenzie and that was definitely the inspiration behind that, but I know that had to be tough. Definitely. Yeah. So part of it was the medicine work. Medicine is a profound heart opener. It's hard to, I would say it's probably impossible to go on an experience and not have into a ceremony and not have a heart opening experience, right? In some form of another. I was working with cacao, which is a powerful heart medicine. And I was also uh, in union with my beloved. So we were working on some of these things together. But I would say the tipping point for me or the transition point for me was when I started working with the Gene Keys. Uh, Gene Keys are an incredible body of work that was channeled by Richard Rudd. And basically there's an aspect of the Gene Keys called the Venus sequence. And it's all about opening your heart to love. And it, it's obviously got everything to do with relationships. But in that part of the sequence, you actually traverse back in time from 14 to 21, 
back to seven to 14, back to zero to seven. And so when I was revisiting some of these through my jinkies, revisiting these periods of my life, that's when I started to have spontaneous memories of heartbreak or times when my heart had been broken and I had been so committed to not letting anyone see it that I didn't actually feel the emotion at all. So it was still trapped inside of me somewhere. It had never been accessed and resolved within me, right? But it was through my work with the Jinkies where those spontaneous memories came back. And I was as surprised as anyone, honestly. You know, there's so many things in our lives that we literally black out and we just forget. And all of a sudden, you know, there's an opening and we remember. And it's like what you do at that point really matters. Yeah, totally. So just to kind of like really bring this full circle, I want to dive into how you talk about, okay, now that you've got all of this wisdom under your belt like you you've done all the what I like to say like warrior work um you know you you really dive into a place of where you can start really experiencing like your sex energy in a much more magical way you really take the book to really starting to talk about deepening your intimacy with your partner um you know creating and, and which ultimately you go to a place of that, that's the goal the entire time, really, right? Is to experience not only a deeper intimacy with your partner, but also deeper intimacy with yourself, which is totally. really powerful. And, and so, you know, I would love to just kind of like dive into this part because and I'm a little bummed, like we didn't really like start here, but also like that's, you know, <laughs> that's really what we get to talk about beforehand, but Um, this is where the magic happens, right? So when you can start to realize, okay, actually I've been a little bit closed off. Actually, I've had some conditioning really impacting me, you know, and I've had some things to heal and you start to dive into this healing process. You can actually um, take this healing into your sex and, and into your sex energy and your sexual experiences, right? Definitely. Yeah, there's so much more to our love making space than most of us are aware of. There's so much more happening. First of all, sex and love making is the most intimate energetic exchange that you can possibly share with somebody. So for one, uh, be considerate of who you're sharing that experience with because when you do you get everything you get all aspects of them the good the bad the ugly the beautiful Uh, and the same is true in reverse that's what you offer to them so when we approach love making when we approach our union and our relationships and the love making that's happening as an opportunity to heal we can really go to some intimate spaces and how i like to do that is just by working with the space in general so when we create sacred space which is something that we can do in and outside of love making but when we create sacred space in love making it lets us know that anything that shows up in that space is sacred Anything that shows up in that space is what's meant to be showing up in that space. Anything that shows up in that space is actually divine. So I I talk about uh, setting sacred space as kind of courting the divine. You know, you're seducing the divine, if you will. You're drawing the divine closer to you so that the two of you can bask in that energy while you're making love. 
And all setting sacred space really is, is bringing intention to the space itself that you're going to make love in. So if you've got a messy room, messy house, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be the greatest setting for you to be completely focused on each other. You know, if you're looking over your shoulder and you got like clothes hanging out the dresser and you're like, oh, I need to do laundry after this. <laughs> it's just, you want to give yourself the ability to take out all distractions. So you clean the space, not only physically make the bed, tidy up the, the what's out on the counters. You also clean it energetically. So you burn some sage, some Palo Santo, you set your intention in the space. Maybe you put on some essential oils, play some music. You're attuning the vibration of the space that you're going to have this love-making interaction inside of. And then one of the most important pieces is you come together eye to eye before you make love. And you share with each other your intention. So a lot of our intentions now look like, what do you want to create? Because lovemaking is not only a healing space, but it's a creative space. Anytime that you're making love or utilizing your sex energy in any way, you're conceiving something, even when it's not a physical child. And we all know that we're conceiving something that, you know, we're not having babies every time we make love. So there's a lot of conception that's non-physical, if you will. But bringing intention to that what do you want to create? We can actually conceive things that are our match for our desires. And so those can be feelings. I want to feel whole. I want to feel confident. I want to feel um, connected. I want to feel, uh, I want to feel the power of our union. I want to feel the love in our union. It can also be materialistic things. I want to manifest our new home. I want to manifest our dream car, you know, and down the list of material items as well. I'm a little wary when I share that with people because I think they can, you know, manifesting and, and utilizing law of attraction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People kind of run with that. The things that you introduce in your lovemaking, you just want to check in and make sure that they're really in alignment with your soul, that they're really in alignment with your higher self. But then, you know, you share your intention and you let go and you start to make love. And a lot of lovemaking is pre-penetration. You know, sex by definition is penetration. Mm, but mm -hmm. you, there's a lot that happens obviously before that time. And there's a lot that happens energetically before that time. And a lot of times the woman and well the woman and the man do operate differently so the woman typically needs to be opened a little bit more slowly you know she, she needs yeah. her heart to be open prior to relaxing and letting her trusting you with her body especially if you're in a new relationship so sacred space helps with that but also warming up her body letting her know that she's physically safe with you that you're not just trying to rush to an end goal mm. is really helpful but then you let yeah. go and you have the experience that you have together. And when you get to the peak of your experience or close to orgasm, you can actually revisit your intentions. Mm -hmm. You have an amplified energy field that you're actually devoting this energy towards something. You're giving it to something. You're making an offering, if you will. 
So you have yeah. a focused intention, two people focusing on the same thing, an amplified energy field based on your sex energy that's now active and circulating. And then you're sending that out into the universe to go towards or go to work on manifesting whatever it is you're intending. And it doesn't even have to be personal. You can get mm -hmm. it as big as you want to get. There's a lot of stuff that's happening on the global landscape right now that could use this kind of love. Yeah. So you can actually take the love that you create or co-create in lovemaking and devote it towards something that's happening on the planet, you know, peace for all human hearts or that people feel their connection to the earth that people, all people remember that they're sacred. Those can be your intentions. Mm, yeah, totally. Wow. That's really powerful to, to consider it, um, to consider like how healing this could be not even on just a personal level, but even on a more global level, like Michael here is talking about, you know, like amplifying an intention that you have for the world, right? A lot of people right now, especially in today's time, are upset with something that's going on in the world and, and the way things are going in the world. Um, and so this is a really, you know, productive way to look at it, like how you can actually really set a container because you know like we talk about setting intentions and in, in just a, a ritual space all the time why not have that same the same experience but like an amplified energy to it because now you're using your creative life force definitely and you will have a different experience yeah. i work with men and women all the time one-on-one -on -one, and when i introduce setting sacred space to them it's always like a light bulb goes off they're like oh mm. I didn't even know like that was a thing that you're when you're making love, you're actually participating in a ceremony. It's so novel to people. But then when they do it, it literally the you know, the intention you put into anything right. is what you receive on the other end. The intention that you bring to love making is absolutely something that both of you will receive. Now you have to surrender into how that might show up for you. You might receive a, a healing in a sense that you're crying during lovemaking, which yeah. is typically seen as an abnormal thing or makes people feel like really weird about, you know, like, yeah. oh, did I do something wrong? Are you okay? Did I hurt you? Yeah. You can, you, can, you can touch places. You can access places inside of yourself that a lot of times you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Right. And totally. sex is the perfect analogy for life. You know, how you are in the bedroom is how you are in life. If you're tense, if you're focused on the end goal, if you're just focused on yourself and what you want to do in this space and how pleasure or how um, good you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, rather than slowing down, mm -hmm. connected to your breathing, relaxed mm -hmm. breathing. You know, most people barely breathe when they make love. So introducing breath. Yeah. Bringing more intention to the movement, to being guided in the movement. And that's one of the coolest things I've experienced is like in terms of being able to pleasure your partner, you're actually, there's something that's like leading you. Yeah. To touch your partner in a specific way to, you know, you're, it's like shamanic work in a, in a sense that you're, you don't even know what's happening, but you're accessing something. You're like unlocking a part of them, right? 
but you don't even know that you're doing it because you're just being led by spirit. All right. We had some really good questions come through. Like, like I was really surprised at, not that I underestimated y'all, but I was just really surprised at how deep like people were really willing to go around this topic. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, Michael, all these questions came from women. This community is predominantly women, but of course they have partners. And so this is going to be great. It's going to ripple into so many different areas. Um, So the first question, and I'll keep these anonymous because, you know, they're pretty personal, but the first question comes from a woman in the community. She says, hi, Michael, I'm a single woman who has more recently opened myself up to dating in hopes to find and connect with my beloved, but having not had sex with another person for over two years, I am struggling with being patient and avoiding giving into the idea of casual sex, of having casual sex. What advice would you have for me when it comes to those two things? So like patience to finding your beloved or to connecting with your beloved and um, not giving into the desire of just like having sex casually. Yeah, well, consider everything you do is communication to the universe of where you're at and what you're ready for. So the fact that you feel that your beloved is out there lets you know that he is and that you're actually calling or in the process of calling him in right now so how do you want to meet him do you want to meet him having spent this period of time being incredibly intimate with yourself going inward even connecting with yourself sensually, sexually, which is, you know, I, I don't know where this person falls in terms of their love making with themselves, but that's ultimately what this is about anyways. Even when you're in union, your beloved is really mirroring back to your internal beloved, but you don't have to have a relationship or a mirror to start that work. You can actually start it right now. So making love to yourself, how comfortable with that are you? How willing are you to receive from yourself? Experience that with yourself. Have that level of intimacy with yourself. Because again, everything is a communication. We're always attracting what we're a match for. So I'm not saying that casual sex is wrong or bad. You can still do it consciously. Just be aware of what you're willing to settle for i guess and if you are willing to settle why is it just sexual satisfaction that you're looking for is it something else can you find pleasure with yourself while you're sending a signal to the universe that you're ready to receive your beloved you know i think people kind of get disillusioned when it comes to their beloved and they start to lose hope so then they look around and, and maybe get the idea that settling would be better or this until that but i don't think you actually have to you know it's really an opportunity to do the inner work do the inner cultivating to be a match for whoever is going to step your, into your life or just send out that communication of what you're actually a match to. Because if you're telling the universe that you're willing to settle, you're probably going to get some people, some guys in your life that are 
not a match to you. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense? And there are practices, there are self-love practices uh, that you may or may not want to do. I don't know. It's hard to, to have the conversation while not actually talking to the person. Uh, but there are self-love practices that you can work with that are profound in terms of uh, connecting with your sex energy, learning to utilize it consciously, but also creating like we talked about. You don't have to have a partner to start creating your partner, your dream partner. You can utilize and harness your sex energy right now to start that work, to amplify the energy of your heart, to actually send that beacon out into the world to call him towards you. Let him know, like, here I am. I'm in this city. I'm in this apartment. I walk down this street every single day. Come and find me. Mm. Oh, love it. Oh, these are going to be so good. Okay. This, the next question, another woman in our community says, I made a big life decision to stop drinking alcohol nearly two years ago after having mm. drinking, af after years of drinking regularly. So she struggled with some alcohol addiction. And she said it sent her on a beautiful journey of personal growth and spiritual awakening. Awakening. She says, I've since realized that because of my regular consumption of alcohol in the past, I never got to have a real relationship. I feel mm. ready for that. But when I think about the idea of being vulnerable and opening myself up to the possibility of experiencing a deep and intimate relationship with another person, I feel terrified. What are some ways I can get over that fear and open myself up to love for what seems like the first time? Mm. Well, I really commend whoever this person is for the journey that they've been on and for the actions that they've been willing to take thus far. I mean, it sounds like you're at the precipice of a grand adventure. And I think we can start with the people that are already in our lives practicing intimacy with. So most of us have places places that we're comfortable with sharing. You know, we have your, your typical conversation or your uh, just catching up or uh, small talk or whatever else, but you can, you can actually start to practice even through intentional questions or really good questions, practice intimacy in the relationships that you already have. So you don't actually have to wait until you have a beloved to start sharing your heart in the way that you desire to. You can practice now with the people that are already in your life and that'll, you know, especially through their responses, people meeting you with grace, people meeting you with being inspired, people meeting you with vulnerable shares of their own, that's going to do something for you, right? That's going to start to heal that part of you that's really scared to share yourself vulnerably. And then it'll just get easier over time. So women are really beautiful at having women's circles, I see women's circles all the time. You guys are so good at being connected to each other, to bringing each other in the same space and really having a deeper conversation than most men have. So I would say just embrace that. Start to practice with the friends in your life uh, and it, it'll just get easier, especially the things that you're really scared to say. What I find is, so like even in the question, you're being vulnerable with where you're at, right? What if you just started telling people that? What if you just said like, hey, I, I am really excited about 
potentially going deeper with you in this relationship or having an even more connected, more fulfilling relationship. And I'm a little scared or I don't exactly know how to do that because I've never done that before. Or I don't feel comfortable doing that because my parts of my past tell me that I'm not safe to. That's a jump off place in your relationships that'll take you down a road of intimacy. So you can start there with the people that are already in your life. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. Okay. So the next question, more simple or not, um, is masturbation productive or harmful for your sex energy and creativity? Depends on what the intention is. So if you're like for men, for instance, if you're just masturbating just because you feel stressed and that's how the only way you know how to relieve stress or because you have addictive patterning that you're just playing out over and over again. Um, if you're masturbating because you're scared of intimacy and pornography and masturbation by yourself is safer than actually experiencing real intimacy with another person, then I would say that it is harmful. But if you're masturbating with the intention of connecting with your body, right. if you're masturbating with the intention of receiving and being nourished by your own sex energy, by universal energy, if you're masturbating with the intention of creating uh, or uh, intentionally manifesting something, or if you're masturbating with the intention of healing, moving mm -hmm. and aligning your energy, then I would say it's a really good thing. Uh, yeah. The, the point I like to make with masturbation is it's not a stimulation release kind of thing. It's not a race to orgasm. It's, it's, a, it's a ceremony. So as long as you're treating it like a ceremony, whether, yeah, whether it's that setting sacred space or whatever you do to create ceremony for yourself, then I think it's a good thing. Uh, beautiful. Thank you for saying that too, because I've always been curious myself, just like, mm, like, let's not be, because I've also heard of the idea of like, you know, um, like semen retention for men and like not like to not masturbate because you're giving away your like your like you're constantly just like releasing your life force yeah i, I think i understand and i've of course read things like that myself for some yeah. reason i don't personally resonate with it because i feel like we're tapped into universal forces we're tapped into universal energy right so i don't feel like we actually can deplete ourselves but i think in a sense we can based on whatever energy we're coming from when we do the act yeah you know yeah like a lot of people use sex and masturbation and pornography to avoid their own wounds mm-hmm they use the constant stimulation and external stimulation, especially to avoid having to go internal and be with themselves at the, the things inside that they're uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, sex and masturbation can be a really intense distraction from mm -hmm. the healing work that needs to be done. Right. right. But in another sense, you know, even with something like semen retention, if, if that's a new practice for a guy, then I'm happy to have him start. Or right. I'm happy to have him like try that on and just see what it's like to not ejaculate, especially for men that are ejaculating every single day for the last 10 years. 
you right. know it's probably going to be like this amazing incredible experience but don't stop there right. it's not just about withholding something it's actually about moving something mm. it's about moving our energy it's about giving our energy and allowing ourselves to receive and return and that is the masculine's role is to give in that way yeah totally okay this next question what are some important questions to ask or points to discuss in conversation before having sex with someone? Sure. Well, if, if you're already in a place where you've set sacred space, you can ask somebody what their intention is. Yeah. And maybe if uh, that person has never been asked that question before, you can elaborate on what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great question is what's on your heart? Uh, how are you feeling right now? Uh, what are you feeling in your body? Uh, and if you're trying to determine whether or not to have sex with somebody, uh, I think that comes through shared experiences with somebody being in their energetic field, experiencing how they behave and interact with other people, how they treat other people. Do they treat people with respect? Do they treat themselves with respect? What kind of lifestyle do they lead? All of that is is kind of telling in terms of how somebody carries themselves carries their energy Uh, i have been over the course of probably the last year inviting women to ask their partners about their use of pornography and the like because i think it's really important for women to protect themselves because that energy can be something that actually goes into their womb if they're having sex with a man that has a lot of that programming or is participating in those kind of things, you know, that can be an energy that women take on and then have to process for the man. Uh, And I really don't want you to have to do that. So I don't know. This is probably the best answer to that question. I don't know. Just be willing to ask the questions, be willing to honor yourself, to have the conversations that you want to have before allowing somebody into your body because it's that's your sacred space that's your mm-hmm. sacred vessel you know and like i said ener- uh, sex is the most vast energetic exchange that we can share with someone so just really make sure that this person's heart and soul is truly on the same path and in alignment with you and where you're going yeah and i love what you said about um really having the conversation with your partner about what feels good to you and what doesn't feel good to you yeah yeah Yeah, we haven't even touched on that but that's a big part of being able to even satisfy each other being sure that you're on the same place with your desires you know what do you desire from a lovemaking space what do you desire from sex and i'm sure those are all questions that whoever you're interacting with has never been asked before Mm -hmm. totally totally Okay, let's go to this next question. Um, There's a huge disconnect and a ton of shame for women when it comes to receiving pleasure. How would you say sex should feel before, during, and after the experience? Well, just like ceremony, every ceremony is different. So sometimes it feels good. Sometimes you're not really feeling much. Sometimes it doesn't actually feel good sometimes it's a little more painful and discomfort uncomfortable but that all is a indication it's a communication of something right it's a communication 
of where you're at and and for the the woman i would say it's a it's an invitation to take note of where you are and where you might be resisting where you might have some kind of blockage to receiving uh, where your heart may or not be fully open to receive uh, where your nervous system is again it's it's all a communication it's it's all an opportunity to explore and if you're inquisitive and present to your body as it's happening you'll be able to go there during the act you don't have to wait until after to uh, explore it or reflect on it you can actually go on a journey while you're making love and, and go into these places like and this happens with Mackenzie and I all the time it's like sh she'll start maybe really tense and then she'll get present to something that she's been holding on to maybe a, a hurt that isn't even related to us you know maybe it's like related to her uh relationship with her sister but it's still to some degree has her blocked off from receiving from me in our lovemaking space which is also an indication that it's not only happening here it's happening outside of the lovemaking space as well we're just getting present to it here because our lovemaking is actually accentuating it it's it's bringing it to the surface right so I don't think that it should feel any way. I mean, obviously you want it to feel good, but sometimes it, it is, sometimes it's emotionally painful. Sometimes right. it's, you know, it can be any number of things. Um, I think the most important thing is you want it to feel right for you. Mm -hmm. you, you don't ever want to feel like, uh, like you're being taken advantage of or, or like, I don't know how to say that, but you want to make sure that, yeah, that you're clear that it feels right for you, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it's like voluntary, I would say for you, like, that's another thing is like, you're, you're there because you want to be there, you know? And then, Definitely. yeah, and just the other piece is like, you don't have to put on a facade either. The idea right. is like, if it, if it is uncomfortable, you don't want to have to pretend like it's not right. Or, you know, you don't want to have to pretend like it is uncomfortable or it is comfortable. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, totally. When you have the kind of safe and sacred space that you've created with your partner, you can explore it together without having it have to like taint the experience or, you know, it's always supposed to be this magical, pleasurable space where, each person gets exactly what they need. No, a lot of times it's an exploration. Mm -hmm. We're working together towards getting back to that opening, getting back to the pleasure. Because if we can receive pleasure in our lovemaking, then we can receive it from every aspect of our life. But if we're not receiving pleasure in our life and then we try to go and make love, it's probably not going to go that well. Mm, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Such good info. Oh my gosh. This is so juicy. Like, thank you by the way, Michael, for hanging in for like, for being even down for this, like, like totally. our first, yeah. Our first conversation about this. I was like, no, I really want to go deep. And you're like, let's freaking do it. Like, I was like, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> um, so this next question, is it possible to change someone's perspective? perspective of sex and whose responsibility is that is it yours or your partner's 
So it's never anybody's responsibility to change someone else's perspective. Yeah. It is our responsibility to determine for ourselves what we are and are not willing to tolerate. What are our deal breakers? And that can be difficult, especially for people that are in relationship and maybe far into a relationship to realize that they have different desires. Uh, a way of avoiding that, if you will, like getting two years into a relationship and realizing you want different things is creating sacred contracts, which I talk about in my book, where you basically just lay out at the beginning of your relationship, what your desires are and what you're committed to, basically your agreement to that person. And so if you have an, uh, a desire to grow with your partner in the area of sex and sexuality, you can actually put that into your agreement. You can put that into your contracts. You can write down, uh, we have an agreement to grow in the area of our of sex and sexuality throughout the course of our relationship together, right? And so then if your partner stops growing, you can say, hey, buddy, remember this contract that you signed you know, two years ago when we started our relationship? Are you going to uphold that or is that something we need to renegotiate, you know? So that's a, that's a powerful place to start. Uh, but I, I don't feel like it's anyone's job to convince or change the perspective of someone else. I feel like we have more influence on our lovers than we realize, but it comes through our, it comes through inspiration rather than trying to change somebody's mind. It comes through sharing ourselves vulnerably, which ends up being an inspiration for the man to want to rise and meet their partner's desires rather than being made to feel like they're not already. You know what I mean? Those are two different things. I was like, yeah, totally. And I realized I was muted. Um, okay. Last couple of questions here. Um, this one is from a body worker. She says, how can we harness our sexual energy to activate our heart and tap into abundance as a body worker? I know that we can use our sexual energy to open our energy centers and heal traumas. So from that, can we also tap into abundance? And there's, is there a specific practice that you would suggest for doing that? Definitely. Uh, yes, that's a hundred percent possible. Yes. There is a way to do that. For people that are just beginning, I, for men especially, I write about it in my book. I talk about a lingam massage. It's a way to circulate this energy and actually get really present to it. Women can do the same thing. You can do a yoni massage, circulate this energy, get really present to it, reconnect with it. And then based on your intention, you know, when you take, even though you're in a sexual experience, if you take sex out of it, you can circulate your energy or be circulating your energy while you focus on anything, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're no longer trapped with, when your mind is no longer trapped by sexual imagery or the need to project sexual imagery onto a sexual experience, you're actually free to contemplate whatever you want while your sex mm. energy is circulating. So you can actually dream while you're having this sexual experience with yourself, let's say you're doing a yoni massage, your intention is to expand mm -hmm. your capacity to receive abundance in your life. And then while mm -hmm. you're in the experience, you're 
thinking of, imagining, contemplating your desires, what it is mm-hmm. you actually want, what it is your heart desires. You're getting present to your dreams, both met and unmet. That's a mm-hmm. powerful way to to call in abundance to yourself through the vessel of your heart, because again, you're you're circulating your sexuality throughout your entire body. You're not just having a, a lower chakra genital experience. You're moving it into your heart and, and then you're dreaming at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you can do it with your mm-hmm. breath too. You don't actually have to be doing a massage. Yeah, true. truthfully. Like it's so epic to really like witness your energy move from place to place within your body for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. This other question, I was curious to know how you would answer it because I know you're really committed to your divine union. But this other question was, what impact, if any, do you believe being in a non-monogamous relationship, having multiple partners or threesomes has on individuals involved? So, you know, like polyamorous relationships is like kind of a hot thing right now. Yeah, polyamory, open relating, definitely. I think those paths are definitely aligned for some people. Uh, again, it just it depends on what's true for you. So I, I know, having gone into the depths of my heart, that monogamy and devotion to one person is what's true for me. But I also am, have the realization that that's not true for everyone. Some people are here to have a different experience. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, as long as it's being approached with reverence, you know, the more people you put in the pot, the more stuff you got there to work with, right? So yeah. it's it's a greater responsibility, I guess you could say, to communicate communicate your boundaries, communicate your desires, to uh, let people know where you're at, what feels good to you. You know, there's 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 more up in the air. Uh, what else do I want to say about that? I'd say the only other piece is you just have to make sure that having more people and energy in the pot isn't working as a distraction. You're not Mm. using that to avoid yourself, Mm. right? Because the more people that are involved, the more outward you're going to be, right? Yeah. So you have to be careful that, and I, you know, a lot of people just have to try it to have the experience to know whether or not it's right for them. Right. So you yeah. have the experience and you're like, okay, I don't think I want to do that. And then you do something else. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but yeah, you have to be careful that you're not just avoiding being inward with yourself. And what mm-hmm. I have found through my divine union is that there's a certain depth that you can reach with one person. Like there's a certain breadth and width that you can reach when you do polyamory when you do open relating and then there's a certain depth you can reach when you are on the path of devotion to one person so neither one is better than the other they're just different Mm. yeah i love that and then i think just to round it out this last uh, question coming from someone who's here live how can she says how can you i'm thinking how can someone implement sex energy in the way that you have experienced it it's all through intention. So if, if you read my book and you go on the healing journey that I've been on, you really come to an empty canvas. And that's the point. You want to get back to ground zero. Basically, the relationship that you were born with 
uh, the innocence that you were born with in this area, um, the innocence that a lot of people didn't even get to necessarily experience with their sexuality, but you want to come back to ground zero. And then once you get to that place, it's all a matter of experience and practice. So even just certain types of breath exercises, even certain types of um, pranic exercises, uh, qigong, they're all ways to work with our energy, to move our energy in a, in a really profound way. Uh, so yeah, how can you implement sex energy in the way that you have experienced it? Just through practice, through exploration, a willingness to get uncomfortable, try new things, but more than anything, to have the intention to work with this energy in a new way, to have the intention to work with it in an empowering way, to have the intention to really utilize it. The greatest way you can utilize this energy is to devote it entirely to your life path and purpose, to whatever the divine's plan is for your life. You know, you take an energy that's given to you by the divine and you devote it back to the divine. That's really the ultimate quote unquote sacrifice when it comes to our sex energy. So however, by whatever means you come to that, uh, it's, we're all climbing the same mountain, right? Yeah. Uh, and I would say to answer that question or to, to, to chime in, I would say, read this book, like this bottom line, like if you read this book, you will be able to access like new levels of healing that you never knew were possible. And I can mm. only say that by having read it and like gone, like gone through this whole entire journey of like heart being cracked open and just like really taking really honest, like a really honest look at my own life, at your own life, you know, mm -hmm. and really looking at how you can, how you can start to really take on these um, beliefs and these practices for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, Michael, thank well you said. so much. Yeah. And we're about to do this giveaway, but I'm going to, I'm going to stop recording before we, before we dive into that. So I just want to say, Michael, again, like, I can't thank you enough for one, just being willing to come into this tribe and uh, spend time to, to connect with us, to dive deep, to answer all of these questions that women are like dying to hear answers from, mm. but um, also just like doing this big work, you know, it's, it's mm. like I said, you're, um, you're so brave, you know, for, for doing this and, and for writing this book and for putting your whole self out there and just being willing to, you know, to, to really offer this level of medicine into the world. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much for saying that, for having me on your platform and allowing me to speak uh, with your tribe and just connect with you and your tribe and just for being the type of person that's even open to receiving my medicine. I mean, it, it takes a, a certain kind of person just to even allow it in. And to me, you've always been that person. You represent such an, an open-hearted possibility with giving and receiving is all the same. And I've received just as much from you as you've received from me. And that's like the blessing and reciprocity of our relationship. And I'm just so grateful that we get to have that and uh, contribute it in a bigger way to whoever might tap in and listen to this. Mm, yeah, it's going to be such a good treat for anyone who really dives in and um, yeah, I hope you guys get this book. I hope you go on this journey with us together with Michael and I and everyone else who gets to read this because honestly, it's like I can really feel how much of an impact um, that this book is going to make and in, in our lives and then 
from the ripple of that big work. Mm. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone listening, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in with me on the Words of a Warrior podcast. I am so happy you stopped by and would love to know what you took away from this conversation. If you feel so moved, please feel free to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes so that we can keep getting this message into the hands of the people who need it the most. Let us know what you loved, topics you want to hear more of, and your favorite words of a warrior. Until next time, keep taking back your power, following your excitement, and unapologetically living the life you were born for.